Pulse Audio Podcast Network. I'm an emo kid who loves herstory. Love herstory too if you look just like me. Also, if you thought it was really depressing that there was no women in history books, because there's not and it's sad. And so we are here to tell you about women from history that you probably haven't heard of. I'm Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! I'm Emily! Holy crap! Oh my god, so in our last episode, Kelly was telling me about the, the emo, emo kid song, song yeah. that I, I still need to listen to. And so I was like, oh, you should do that for your intro today. And she's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. But she did something better because she made it historical and everything's better when it's historical. Right. Oh my god. Like line. Please don't sue me. <laughs> we're not going emo, it's more, this is goth. Yeah, Gosh, we're just she... like dark and depressed because the world's it's on fire. Like bringing me back, like it's bringing high school memories back. Oh and that's yeah, weird. it's funny. So like I like that's that's concerning about my high school. Like, yeah, history that I dress like this and it's like oh high school. I uh so I didn't dress just like this in high school because I didn't wear dresses in high school. I've got my like little goth doll velvety dress on. I was half off at Hot Topic. <laughs> and then I've got my Edgar Allan Poe necklace, which I wore a lot in college because yeah. I still dressed kind of punk and I was in writing classes. Right, so I was like, like, I'm cool. <laughs> and I've got my little cameo, which is like kind of Victorian goth. And then I have, I don't know if you can see on the video, you probably can't, but my earrings are made out of uh, safety pins. No, oh, safety, yeah, safety, pins. safety pins. One's like a guitar pick and the other's a peace sign. Like and I skull and crossbones on the guitar pick. Yeah. And I did wear those in high school 100%. Oh, and Kelly's got fucking battle axes. Yeah. Pentagram. The pentagram is Emily's. I yes. I, I also wore a pentagram in college. For a long time. I actually just got rid of a bunch of my necklaces and I had one that was like a dragon and stuff. And I'm like, so when I was going through my jewelry, I was like, damn it. This is like a month too late. Oh, no. I know. I had like, I used to have like all of the arm Oh, yeah, no, I had, yeah. Like, Warmers oh, and yeah. that kind of thing. And I got rid of all I those. Could, I'm like, I should have kept a box of my goth stuff for when I had picture. a podcast where I dressed like a goth. I'm not going to, but I could dig out a picture where I had, like, fishnet, like, half-arm gloves. I was wearing, I think, my my corn t-shirt and then, like, my... my um, trip pants which if for those who don't know that's the brand of pants i don't know if hot topic sells them anymore because they're going a little more mainstream but they used to be sold at hot topic and they were like really baggy black pants that sometimes had accent colors but had like a bunch of chains and stuff on them they're basically black cargo pants so i had like the female trip pants in purple or like with purple accents of course and yeah, like, and I'm just like standing there and I'm like, yep, that that's my high school aesthetic right there. I always want to have a pair of trip pants, but one, they were super expensive. They were like between 50 and $100. Yeah. And two, they never had them in my size because I wasn't like super skinny. I did have a friend I wasn't either. who got a pair of hand-me-down trip pants and I had the opportunity to like take them. They were first, but they didn't fit me, but they, they fit terrible. her because I, they, they were too small on me. I, I was like, damn it. Yeah, we need more pockets. Trip understood that right. women need pockets. I know. I'm trying to remember if if I managed to fit into a pair of like women's, or if I 
just bought like a really small men's. I bet you can still I, get them. They're they're. I don't think they're as like in vogue as they used to be. Well, and Hot Topic's gone a little more like they've almost gone more like lunchbox, where it's more like yeah, and they're kid, a little more kitty like, pop culture punk now than like that used to be all they when they started supposedly they were like metal and then they yep. kind of like swung into goth metal and then punk and now they're a little more mainstream alternative yeah maybe. i i was always scared of hot topic until i think i was in middle school i was really into anime and they had like some inuyasha stuff in the front window and i i was i was with my friend tyranny and i literally stopped her i was like oh my god and i went in there and the staff at hot topic I, I never get better customer service than I do They're at Hot Topic. Nice. A, a, a lady who used to work there, shout out Winona. Uh, she taught me how to do my makeup with the crappy Hot Topic samples Aww. of like all the bright colors and glitter and bullshit. It was amazing. And Kelly is now looking up yeah. Trip so Pants. Trip, so, to, so Trip, the reason they're called Trip Pants is because that, that is that's the brand. The brand. But apparently they're uh, bondage pants. Like that's like the style okay but they have one that's like plaid and it's half they're all skinny pants these are the women's oh yeah but they're all skinny pants they used to be like the baggier the better they're also still real expensive yeah yeah but i just i decided to pick the uh theme for this month because maybe i'm feeling a little depressed maybe i'm also feeling a little old because i turned 30 in like less than a week right and i turned 30 sunday so like after this comes out, actually, I will yeah. be thirty. So you turn thirty like this Sunday. Yes, yeah. it's it's wild. It is the twenty. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh god, this reminds me of high school. And then I was like, oh god, I'm old. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Thanks, high school Emily. seems so far away. We also have our like pretty little candles to set These some of the usually effect. actually hang out in my house. Emily yes. just brought them here. Well, because they look all gothic and like vampire pretty. castle aesthetic. So we're just going to turn off all the lights and you're just going to watch the candles. <laughs> that would be the worst fucking thing to watch. Yeah, Can you imagine? All right. Well, enough of the goth stuff. Let's dive in. Today we are drinking a wine that is, is perfect for my being... This is my birthday episode. I'm saying this is my birthday episode uh, because this is the brand of wine that got me into Cab Sauvs and I couldn't, they didn't have the straight up Cab Sauv, but this is a Cab Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot and it's the Butterfly Effect 2019 from Victoria. So it's wine of Australia. Ooh. Oh, did I tell you to put on your 3D glasses? getting whimsical <laughs> getting whimsical up in here in our goth <laughs> it's the stuff. it's uh alice in wonderland tim burton 3d <laughs> that's what this episode is so i'm gonna read the back so it's a uh, it's 64 percent cab sauv 36 percent merlot and i've actually already had some i had some last night and it rocked my socks off which is something i also used to say in high school yeah <laughs> all right I've had the pleasure of making great Australian wines for over 20 years, and after all that time spent in the cellar, I've learned that small things can make a big difference. That inspired the name for my own label, The Butterfly Effect. Cabernet Merlot blends usually usually use plush, velvety Merlot to soften Cabernet Sauvignon, which is typically the more gripey and intense of the two. This is the perfect wine right now that notion was upside down this time i've been turned this upside down but it's open i'm not doing that we had an amazingly 
inky, powerful, powerful Merlot grow from a yule... <laughs> My dis I am what? in high school because I can't read in front of the class either. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. We had an amazingly inky powerful powerful Merlot grow from a low yield vineyard this vintage. On its own, the Merlot was impressive but overwhelming. The challenge was to find the right Cabernet component to tame it. <laughs> With bramble fruit and mm. chocolatey character from oak aging, this wine is bold but in check and will soften as it but ages. Oh, I will also soften as I age. I'm definitely not as edgy and bitter as I used to be. I'm same. more tired and bitter. <laughs> the bitter is still the yeah, same. Like, the I, I'm more parts. like, instead of being young and being like, oh, the world's burning and everything sucks, I'm like, Shrug. The world's burning, world's burning and everything sucks. All right, let's drink. <laughs> uh, Angels, it's just a joy making wine for you. Thank you so much for the opportunity because this is from my Naked Wines box. And I'm so excited. Like, I've been wanting this, like, this brand of wine again for so long. Because last time I drank this brand of wine, I was curled up in my chair in my fuzzy bathrobe by myself watching dinosaur documentaries and drunk texting all my friends that I love them. I remember that. Kelly I'm got one sure of my text t- back was, are you okay? You, yeah, you asked if I was okay, which I took great offense to. Like, I can't just randomly say how much I love you <laughs> without it being a bad thing. Like, how dare you? All right. So cheers. To you. To me. And my the last year of my twenties, the last like few days of yep, my twenties. Few days of twenties. Is that good clank? <sighs> I love it so much. It is really good. I would drink this exclusively. Like I, I. What do they say nowadays? What do the kids say? Stan. I would stand for this wine. Like what? Yeah, it's um. So it's short for stalker fan, which is actually kind of problematic if you think about it, but it basically means like you really like, you're a big fan of a wine. Okay. But they turned like being a fan into a verb and they say you'll stand for something, which I used to think was short for stand. And I'm like, why would you get rid of the D? Like, what if I want the D? It doesn't, doesn't add that much. It's a little D. You're not even going to notice it's there. (laughs) That's funny. So, super fans, if you can tell us how many seconds it took Kelly to get my dick joke, I will send you stickers. Because <laughs> this is our video episode for our for our audio-only fans. Yeah. Mm. I love this wine so much. I want to marry it. Yeah, it's really good. I want to have a bunch of little wine babies. I'll just have a bunch of grapes, and I'll grind them into wine, and I will always have wine. Yeah. There you go. Always. Always. Never-ending wine. All right. So, I'm... Going first today. Is that correct? All right. Well, this is our last week uh, celebrating Black History Month. Doesn't mean it's the last week we're covering stories of black women. It's just the last week where it's specifically for Black History Month. And I am so fucking jazzed about my story. Like, Jared knows the story in and out now because I would not shut the fuck up about it. I was like, Jared, 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 the story got better. Let me tell you what happened. So. For my story, I decided to revisit the amazing list of suggestions Artemis gave us. So huge thanks and shout out to them. Artemis, you are such a fucking gem and we love you. And seriously, like 
I think this is my like one of my favorite stories that we've covered this month. So you did that. All right. I am covering Barbara Rose Johns Powell. So Barbara Rose Johns Powell, I couldn't find if her if Rose was just her middle name or if everyone called her Barbara Rose. I kind of hope they did, but I'm just going to call her Barbara. Uh, She was born on March 6th, 1935, which is 55 years and 10 days before Kelly's birthday. (laughs) Woo! She's also turning 30 soon. The clock is ticking. Yeah, I don't like it. Sound the funeral bells on your 20s. Right. So she was born in New York, New York, as the oldest of five children, but her family came from Prince Edward County, Virginia, so they did eventually relocate to the area. Probably because her mother was working in Washington, D.C. for the U.S. Navy. Her father, who was a World War II Army vet, operated the family farm. So she's coming from like a pretty patriotic, get-her-done family. Yeah. Family fun fact about the Powells. This isn't really relevant to the story, but I thought it was cool. One of Barbara's little brothers, Roderick Powell, served in Vietnam as a dog handler. I'm sorry. I I, I got that wrong. Powell is her married name. So these are the Johns. My bad. So fun fact about the Johns. Roderick John served in Vietnam as a dog handler. Dream job. And was awarded the Bronze Star and a Purple Heart. Uh, I wanted to know so much more about military dog handlers because that sounds fascinating. And actually, uh, we've been doing some research into military dogs for a guess what we're going to do on another podcast. So stay tuned for that. Right. Lots of puppers, lots of woofers, lots of good boys. Yeah. So Barbara's uncle Vernon, not the D-bag from Harry Potter, was a minister and outspoken civil rights activist and would teach the children about black history whenever he visited. This sparked Barbara and her siblings to learn more about their own history and to become engaged in civil rights, which I'm like, that's awesome. Instead of being the crazy uncle that like comes in and like wrecks your shit and gets drunk and says some racist shit, he comes in and he's like, let me educate you right. and let me get you fired up to fight racism instead of me getting drunk on some wild turkey while saying racial slurs. He's the best kind of uncle. So growing up in 1950s Virginia wasn't great if you were black. Barbara's schools were segregated along with most other things in town, including water fountains, which just like it seems so stupid. Like that just seems so just sticking it to you. Like we can't even drink from the same fountain. If you've seen any pictures from segregation era America, you've seen the water fountain pictures. And that's kind of what you need to know. Like the white water fountains are really nice. And the black water fountains are like a pipe sticking out of a wall. Hmm. And it's crap. Yeah. And this, like, segregation was all, like, this separate but equal. Like, that was the message. And it totally wasn't. It was, like, no, separate and all of your stuff is worse if you're black. So (laughs) I need to stop talking before I, like, read my notes because I say this. So things weren't just separate for black people and white people. The schools and facilities designated for black people were always way worse. Barbara's school in particular, Mountain High School, was a great example of this separate but super not equal policy. The capacity of her school was about 200 students, but was expected to serve 450. Can you imagine? 
it's like, okay, my graduating class in high school was about 400 students. Right. Like, I can't imagine having to share a school that's only supposed to accommodate half of us. That's crazy. Yeah. In one, like, one building. It's, I was already way too close to the students I went to school with. I was like, you need to get the fuck away from me and stop asking me for my gum and my pencils. So the building itself was also crap. An account from Barbara's sister, Jones, summarizes the school situation, and it's like true horror. In winter, the school was very cold, and a lot of times we had to put on our jackets. Now, the students that sat closest to the wood stove were very warm, and the ones that sat farthest away were very cold. Did they just rotate? Because that's what should have happened. Right? Or is it just like whoever gets... Whoever gets there first. All of those kids were on time. They were because they were there trying to get to the 5 a.m. Like, (laughs) let us in. Yeah, basically. They're like, I need to sit next to the wood stove or I'm going to lose another toe. Um, And I remember being cold a lot of the times and sitting in the classroom with my jacket on. When it rained, we would get water through the ceiling. So there were lots of pails sitting around the classroom. And sometimes we had to raise our umbrellas to keep the water off our heads. It was very difficult. It was a very difficult setting for trying to learn. And she says that so nicely. Like, it was a very difficult setting to learn. No, it was bullshit, Joan. It was absolute bullshit. Can you imagine being in school and having to like whip out your umbrella? No, that that's such bad terrible. luck. It's such bad luck. <laughs> like that is terrible. Yeah. Like if I get chilly in my office, I won't stop bitching about it. Like people will be like, how are you? I don't know. I'm cold. cold. <laughs> I'm cold. I'm freezing to death, yeah, whatever. That's and exactly it's not even that bad. Uh, so I can't imagine trying to get an education while freezing and like holding on to an umbrella. Like you're fighting the elements while you're getting an education. In addition, because of the rampant overcrowding, classes were held in the auditorium and on school buses, which, like, would be cool for one day. Right. One day, that'd be like, ooh, school bus class. No, no. Then it then it stops being fun. That's just bullshit. Where do you, like, you got to write in your lap? I was always bad at that. Well, and see, I can't read and be on a move like i don't think the buses were driving okay, around good. i think they're part i don't know <laughs> they can't afford to patch the roofs in the ceiling i don't think they can afford extra gas yeah, like, to like I bust feel, the kids I, around I while mean, they're teaching i feel like being like being in a bus isn't going to make you any like warmer oh absolutely not yeah they definitely didn't turn those buses on do buses even have heat it's been so long since i've been on a school bus i remember they didn't have seat belts, so i don't yeah. expect them to have heat why don't school buses have seatbelts? Some do. The ones I was on, like okay, never traditional did. school buses usually don't because it's something about like it's actually safer to not have seatbelts and like if the bus flips or something, like you're more likely to get injured if there's a. I don't know. So well, like, like, I guess me the, the reasoning, but the bodies you, of the other students will cushion your fall. The, basically, the nicer you get until you get up into like coach buses and stuff, and then they start having seatbelts. Okay, I I think they're just cheap. In that. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, the school for white kids had none of these issues. They were fine. In fact, the, the rooms were too big. They're like, whoa, I can do all of this movement and never touch a soul for the entire day. I Googled it. Oh, you Googled yeah. why buses don't. It okay. says the National Highway Traf- Traffic Safety Administration said school buses are the most regulated vehicles on the road, but said seatbelts are not required because buses are designed to withstand impacts unlike cars. For example, school buses have energy absor- absorbing padded seats that are close together. <laughs> so basically, they distribute forces differently. So if you get into a car accident, 
as someone sitting in the bus, you're not going to really feel it. I guess, okay, to me, that sounds like when they say something is unsinkable, that's a guarantee that it right. will sink. So when you say, oh, we don't need bus or seatbelts on school buses because that thing's definitely not going to flip over. Like, doesn't that mean it's definitely going to flip over and a bunch of kids are going to die? I don't know. Well, I guess I've never heard of that happening. They probably would have stuck seatbelts on the buses. But I mean, the other thing is, it's like, how would they even enforce that? I was going to say, kids are already such a fucking nightmare on a school bus. Like, kids get assaulted on the school bus. And like... It's terrible. The the school bus... Because the school bus driver's driving! Like, and there's, you know, 30 goddamn kids in the back who are all, like, crawling on top of each other. Like, what are you going to do? Like... Don't make me turn this bus around and take you back to school. You can't do that. <laughs> anyway, enough about my, like, weird hang-up with school buses. Right. Jesus. Sorry. This is a weird hill for me to die on. This yeah, is a weird place to take a stand. <laughs> so, hoping to get help for their students, Black parents appealed to the, to the board of the white school, asking if they could help make the Black school not such a fucking death trap. Not unlike a school bus. <laughs> In response, the school board created a bunch of tar paper shacks to accommodate the extra 250 students. Tar paper shacks. These were as shitty as you're imagining. Like, I literally imagined black sandpaper that was, like, stapled into the shape of a house. And then it was like, okay, guys, get in there. And there was no heating or plumbing, so it was basically just walls, which isn't going to help with the cold. No. It's not going to help with leaking, really. Like, you might as well just be outside with your umbrellas. It's abs- it, it sounds more like an insult. Like, oh, you want help? We're going to give you garbage. So, 16-year-old Barbara was done and would not abide by this bullshit. She turned to a teacher for advice, and they encouraged her to act. And I don't have a direct quote from this or anything, but I'm just imagining Barbara going on like a mini tirade about racial inequality to her and her teacher just slowly clasping their hands together and saying, then go get them. Like this whole story is a movie. The fact that this is not a movie blows my mind because it literally writes itself. (laughs) So Barbara organized a strike with her fellow students. And on April 23rd, 1952, they jumped into action. And I want everyone to buckle up for this because this is like some teen movie level no, hijink bus. shit. Don't fucking have seatbelts, Emily. <laughs> no, on my school bus, you will buckle up, goddammit. <laughs> You'll strap in and strap I'm on. I'm not having you fly from the back of that bus right through the windshield. <laughs> okay. That just reminds me of like a video I saw in Driver's Ed and it was like five people in a car. And then, yeah, like they got in an accident and they would have been fine except for the person in the back middle like wasn't wearing their seatbelt so he like came forward and like ping pong between the two people in the front and like killed both of them with his fly i just remember this video because it was so fucking traumatizing so like they say scare tactics don't work they do but well, here's the thing i'm still terrified of everything i ever saw in driver's head or health oh, yeah. class like terrible. see health class wasn't too bad for me but like that one video from driver's head have, has stuck with me you know 13 years later. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm going to be that one. If I don't wear my seatbelt, I'm going to be that kid that flies around the car and kills all my friends. We had we had like a whole day where we watched videos about what happens when a car gets hit by a train. And I like we have train tracks. Was was that the video that they were like, if you're squeamish, you can skip this this class. Oh, no, no. My my driver's ed teacher who notably rode to class every day on a fucking bicycle Mm. did not drive. (laughs) 
<laughs> did not drive this woman. But uh, like, so we have train tracks that run through like downtown and there's a lot, you know, a lot of traffic and stuff. And I see people stop on the train tracks, oh, like God. if they're stuck at a red light. And I'm like, you fool, you'll get us all killed. And I will seriously, like, I will be way further back just I mean, to avoid being on the train I tracks. I get it because, like, they're not super used. But, like, if that happens to be the day the train's coming through. Right? Like, why would I risk it? Why would I test fate? This is a very transportation-centric episode. And we're not even talking about bus boycotts. Like... This is the era of that, but we're not it talking about them. Okay, so this is Barbara's whole crazy, amazing plan. So first, they sent the principal a false message that there were a bunch of his students causing a ruckus downtown. So the principal, like, because this was back in the day where the principal was, like, responsible for wrangling youth in town. Well, I think it's if they're supposed to be in school right. and they're not, but it they is didn't have, like, your a, responsibility. But and maybe they still do this in small towns, but, like, they didn't have, like, a truancy officer. They no. didn't call any, like, other law enforcement. I'm pretty I sure know. the truancy officer in my high school was fucking useless. Probably. I don't even know if he was technically a true... Like, I don't know what his job was, but I just remember that he was useless. <laughs> but so once the principal left, Barbara snuck into the principal's office and forged a memo that had, like, the principal's letterhead. Yeah. And the memo told teachers to assemble the students for a special assembly at a certain time. So they're tricking the principal to leave and then right. forging a memo with their, like, stationery. And then when the teachers brought all the students together from their various classrooms and tar paper shacks and buses for the assembly, Barbara got up in front of 450 students and gave a speech. And she called the students to join her in a strike to protest the racial inequality in the school system. And I couldn't find the speech or what she said or anything, but I'm just imagining her, like... That she gives us like rousing and passion speech and ends it with "Who's with me?" and then there's like right. there's a, moment like a moment of silence, silence and then like, ah! yeah, like you see in movies where it's like silent for a beat and then it's just like a wave of cheering. Yeah, yeah. like and papers are going up in the air, people are freaking out, they're hooting and hollering, and then Barbara's are throwing down their grade books. Like, yeah, fuck this shit. Like you all pass. Boom. <laughs> so Barbara and the other student leaders led the student body on a march to the county courthouse where they went to the office of the school superintendent. We're not going to take it was definitely playing in the background. Oh, 100%. We're not going to take it. Like March montage of all these students being all empowered and riled up. So the superintendent told them that they were way out of line. I mean, they got a bunch of tar paper shacks already. What else could they possibly want? And this goes back to that thing we were talking about with Mae Jemison. And like, um, it takes a level of arrogance to survive and to demand what you deserve and not settle for what you're given because that's what the superintendent is being like, you already got tar paper shacks. I don't know why you're complaining. We gave you something that we hoped would placate you. How dare you demand more? Yeah, right. It's terrible. So Barbara had really hoped that this march would show authorities the severity of the issues with the school and they would show compassion. And oh, sweet... Too good for this world, Barbara. I really wish that had been the case. I just want to hug her. Hug her tight. So since the superintendent didn't superintend on doing anything about the dismal conditions oh, of the bad. school. That was so bad. <laughs> Punfully uh, intended. Lock me up in the penitentiary if you don't like it. Oh. Mm -mm -mm. So the students of Mountain High School stayed on strike for two weeks. 
They picketed inside and outside of the school, making signs that said, we want a new school or none at all, and down with tar paper shacks. See, the bad thing about that is, is I could totally see certain groups of white people being like, fine, you don't need an education. Fuck you. Oh, you don't want to go to school? Fine. It's easier for us to oppress you then. Like, I I think it's great that they're doing that, but I could also see that completely backfiring. So with all of the, like, unsexy finger quotes controversy that... Controversy? Whatever the fuck it is that we've seen, especially in the past four or so years, every story we read... I can hear what, like, the other side is yeah, saying, and that, it's and always exactly so infuriating. I'm not saying I believe no, 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 saying, absolutely. but I can totally see, especially back then, a good chunk of the community just being like, fine. Ungrateful kids. They should just sit down and shut up and enjoy their tar paper shacks. You know, when I was a kid, I walked to school uphill both ways and three feet of snow, and I didn't complain. They want heat? Fuck them. Right. Ugh. So of the strike, uh, Barbara later said, quote, it was and really quick. This quote uses some outdated language, but it was the nomenclature of the time and it's not being used in a negative way. So I I'll repeat it because these are these are Barbara's words. There's a lot of and this is her story. There's a lot of blank. I had to like even in my quote, I had to like blank out a lot of words in my story. So Barbara, a black woman, said. It was time that Negroes were treated equally with whites. Time that they had a decent school. Time for the students themselves to do something about it. There wasn't any fear. I just thought, this is your moment. Seize it. Seize the carp. Seize the carp. Carpe diem. Seize the carp. Oh, my God. Seize the sky carp, which is geese for uh, our non-Midwest listeners. I don't think I've ever heard geese called sky Oh, yeah. I learned that in high school. Some some girl in my study hall. No, some girl in my study hall gave me jerky. And I was like, oh, what is this? She's like, it's sky carp. I'm like, okay, but what is sky carp? And for 10 minutes, she's like, sky carp is sky carp. I'm like, bitch, seriously. And she finally told me it's geese. Yeah, that might have just been that girl. Like, I've never heard anyone (laughs) else call a goose sky carp. I'm making it a thing. But so, so you're that over there quote, like my our non Midwest listeners, and I'm like, do not lump us in with that one chick. <laughs> oh, she might have been a transplant too. I don't know. But th- that carp. that quote, "This is your moment, seize it," like appears is is strongly associated with Barbara. I, ru- I ruined your seize seize the no, moment. No, that's with- fine. That's fine because I that's I now feel stupid. <laughs> Carpe Diem sees the carp. It's from something. I feel like it's repeated. Like it's one of those jokes that just keeps getting used and reused. Anyway, <laughs> in addition to leading the strike, Barbara also contacted the NAACP, which is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, mm-hmm. on April 25th, 1951. Did I get did I do a typo in that year? No. Nope, 1952. Sorry, the strike happened in 1952. This happened in 1952. So they sent they sent their lawyers from the past. So they sent a couple of their lawyers, Oliver W. Hill and Spotswood William Robinson the third, which is love that second name i mean the first one's okay but the second one is like the first "Mm." one's like oh that's a really good show oh my god here comes spotswood the third in for the kill i would want him representing me (laughs) yes i I just they're like finisher yeah yeah and now approaching the stand spotswood william robinson the third and you can't say it without doing like a posh accent 
Innocent. Wherever he wants. Give it to him. Spotswood for the win always. So uh, these two amazing lawyers went to Prince Edward County to help the students. Barbara and the other student leaders of the strike worked with the NAACP lawyers who agreed to help with the lawsuit as long as the suit was for integrated schools rather than just equal facilities. So Barbara was almost thinking too small. She's like, I just want a decent school. She's like, school. I, yeah, I just want something nice. Which it, it just it, it keeps bringing back from that that quote from Mae Jemison where it's like you have to be arrogant and ask for what you deserve. Yeah. Like Barbara didn't even know what she fucking deserved. No. You know? Like, that's how integral this is into your mental space, this oppression. So the following month, the NAACP filed Davis v. County Board of Prince Edward County. God, sorry. Davis versus County School Board of Prince Edward County. There's a lot of counties in here in federal court. So they're suing the school board to integrate the schools and give everyone like an equal education facilities because you know they're not going to be like I guess the white kids are stuck with tar paper shacks they're not going to do that guys while the courts ruled in favor of continued segregation which is bad the NAACP continued to appeal the decision until it made it to the U.S. Supreme Court They were working on four other similar cases at the same time, and all five cases were actually combined and became the groundbreaking Brown versus Board of Education, which even if you don't know anything about civil rights, like you've probably heard of Brown versus Board of yeah, Education. It's the big one. So this is the this is the case that's named for Oliver Brown, who was denied admittance to a white school, but it actually included five cases in total. And like that was just what the case yeah. name was called, but they were like arguing for five like different instances. One. The Davis versus County School Board of Prince Edward County, why did I put that in there twice, was the only case of the five that had originated from a student protest. Hmm. I won't go into detail about Brown versus Board of Education because there's a lot of legalese and like it's a pretty well-known case. What we need to know, though, is on May 17th, 1954, the Supreme Court unanimously ruled that segregation in schools was unconstitutional. And because this is the highest court in the United States. Yeah, what is law? Federally. Like, th- this isn't like, well, this state's cool with, you know, integration. This state's not. It's like, no, all y'all need to get on the same page now. In the opinion of the case written by Chief Justice Earl Warren, which everyone else just sound like, signed like a birthday card, like he wrote. And they're like, yeah, cool. We agree. Have a great day. Happy birthday. You're one year right. closer to death. He said, quote. I got real dark at the end. <laughs> I'm having a mood. <laughs> so, quote. To separate black children from others of similar age and qualification solely because of their race generates a feeling of inferiority as to their status in the community that may affect their hearts and their minds in a way unlikely to ever be undone. And that, like we were just talking about that, like Barbara wasn't even asking for what she really deserved. She's like, I just want a school that doesn't suck. You can keep us separate, but just don't make my school crap. Like... The mental fuckery that this oppression is doing to an entire generation after generation, really, because this has been happening since day one of the United States being a thing. It's and how do you how do you undo that? Right. How do you like how uh, I'm losing my train of thought because it's so infuriating that all I can do is sputter angrily. Just uh. So this was a huge victory for racial equality in the United States, but it didn't come without sacrifice. After leading the strike, Barbara became a target of the Ku Klux Klan, 
who harassed her and her family and even burned a cross on her yard. That's such a like that's such a weird thing. Like that that's a thing the Ku Klux Klan does quite yeah. often. That's like their Why? It's it's because it's because they they do have like a lot of um ties to like Christianity, I, I know, but they're but like why white would they like burn the like I feel like that's like it's threatening. I, it's basically like we're gonna we're gonna crucify you, I, we're gonna burn but, you on the cross. Like you know what I mean? Like because you're not allowed to burn an American flag. I feel like burning a cross is the same in Christianity. It seems sacrilegious. Like, it does. That's, that's, what, that's why I was asking. I was like, if they're Christian, why the fuck would they do that? Yeah, I don't know. There. Here's the thing. Nothing about the KKK makes any goddamn sense. No. At the end of the day, nothing they do makes any goddamn sense. (laughs) We went from buses to what the fuck is with the burning of crosses? Like, what are you actually doing with that? Right. Not that I care, but so little little side tangent. I've been listening to Ruth Coker Burks's uh, memoir. Yep. How's it going? Are you done yet? It's sad. I'm not done yet. But for anyone who doesn't know, she uh, she helped AIDS patients in the 80s in the south and it was not a good situation uh to be gay in the south especially if you had hiv or aids and at one point a cross is burned on her yard and she literally says like it was a a four foot high cross a lazy man's cross and i'm like oh ruth you goddamn sass queen that's amazing like what a great way oh it's only four feet they must not be serious what a bunch of lazy assholes (laughs) the lazy man's cross right they like can make it bigger anyway my heart okay so they burn a cross on barbara's yard and fearing for her safety barbara's parents sent her to montgomery alabama where she lived with her uncle vernon who had helped inspire her to act in the first place and I'm not sure what year Barbara was forced to flee Montgomery. Um, I'm not Mount sure if it was. Montgomery. Sorry. It... It's Montgomery. Ugh. You said it right the first time. And then you said Mount the second time. I think I always thought it was Mount, but it's spelled M-O-N-T. So I never actually know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I don't Montgomery. even have an excuse. It's not French. This is from the United States, right. I should know. But. Um, So I'm not sure if she was sent there like right after the strike or after the Brown v. Board decision. But I do want to point out that the school strike she led took place in 1952. And only a few years later in 1955, Claudette Colvin and Rosa Parks made their historic rides, which were only nine months apart. And the Montgomery bus boycott started. And Claudette Colvin, who I covered back in episode 45. Amazing. She was amazing. She was only 15 years old when she refused to give up her seat on a bus to a white rider. And, like, I have it in my Hursary headcanon that if Barbara was living in Montgomery at the same time that Claudette was hanging around, like, even before, that she would have participated in the bus boycott. And, like... Here's my other movie moment. And like, this could be like one of those, like, we're going to just like fudge history a little bit, like movies are wont to do. Claudette's walking down the street and she bumps into someone and drops her books on like black history and civil rights. And the girl she bumps into is like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And picks up the book. She's like, oh, hey, I'm digging what you're reading. Keep strong. And you know, all that. And it's Barbara. That would be awesome. And Claudette's like, yeah, I'm not alone. And then like later that day, she refuses to give up her seat or something like that. I don't know. I just, I love that these two amazing Herstory heroes were like in the same area around the same right. time. And they're yeah. both teenagers. They're both teenage activists. I'm just watching your wine. I know. <laughs> I have my wine in my lap scares me because i talk with my hands i'm feeling very passionate right now but i still want to drink my wine (laughs) so 
Virginia's reaction to Brown versus Board of Education wasn't great. A lot of southern even, states didn't react great. Yeah, even even though the Supreme Court is supposed to be like the ultimate law of the land, like states can drag their feet and, you know, throw up a bunch of bullshit and like go down kicking and screaming. Um, they engaged in what was called massive resistance to defy desegregation. What was called massive resistance. Yeah, massive bullshit is actually how you pronounce it. So yeah. part of this devastating racist hissy fit includes shutting down schools and in even entire school systems. Like, haha, you can't make us desegregate schools if we don't have schools. Like, are you fucking? None so, of it so, makes sense. So- you're not educating people of color, but you're also just not going to educate your own fucking children. And there's I, no way you're homeschooling them. I highly suspect that they were targeting black schools because why would they sacrifice their own like white students? But it, it's it's but see, so is, childish. Only, I guess the only way your quote works is if they shut down white schools, too. Mm hmm. I didn't find a lot of information on like how that exactly worked. And this was I mean, this was going on all over the place. So from 1959 to 1964, Prince Edward County straight up didn't have public schools. So they were just like, everyone's private. We're all funded by white people. And And then so we can like we can discriminate and blah, 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 blah. So even though a lot of these policies were struck down as unconstitutional, Virginia continued to fight integration for many, many years. What the fuck? I my next line is. What the actual fuck with periods between all the all the words. Nice. Kelly Kelly is in my head. So after the heat died down, Barbara lived out her life in peace. Aww. She graduated from Drexel University with a master's degree in science, library science, just like my ma'am. What's up, Gwen? And became a librarian, just like my ma'am, uh, for the Philadelphia school system. Not Aww. like my mom, but, you know, she did work in the school system as a librarian, so... Shout out librarians. She married William Powell, with whom she had five children. Five kids. Yeah. Barbara worked as a librarian right up until her death on September 25th, 1991 from bone cancer. That doesn't sound like she was that old. She wasn't. She was only 56. Oh, yeah. That's pretty young. She should still be alive right fucking now. Claudette Colvin's still alive. Exactly. Yeah. That's why I was like, wasn't she around that age-ish like i understand people die and it's always tragic and it's always awful but i'm like i feel robbed like we should still have her she should be seeing everything that's happening right now she should have seen barack obama become president damn it she knows happy she knows she She knows (laughs) i just love that she fought though for a better education for black students and then ended up working in the school system Come in full circle, Barbara. Legacy. So Virginia does not come off well in this story, but they've kind of like gotten their shit together when it comes to Barbara. So there is a plaque on the Virginia Capitol grounds commemorating Barbara's part in helping to integrate Virginia schools. In 2005, the Library of Virginia named Barbara one of their Virginia Women of History, which is this yearly program which honors eight Virginia women and their contributions. I'm like, you know, surprisingly, a lot of states do that. But like, I feel like it must not be widely publicized. I know. I'm like, why don't we have a Minnesota one? The person in my story is like, oh, yeah, she's honored by her state. And I'm like, and in in my notes, I even say like, hey, people from this state, have you heard of her? 
Yeah. Because I'm curious. I, I want to hear from our Virginia listeners if we have any. Like, have you ever heard of her? And you should have because of something I will get to later. So in 2008, the Virginia Civil Rights Memorial opened and it features statues of Barbara and the two NAACP lawyers who helped her. It also includes a quote from Barbara, which reads, quote, it seemed like reaching for the moon. Which really, I mean, she wasn't even asking for what I would consider the moon, which would be integration. Barbara is part of the Virginia Elementary School History Curriculum, which is huge. And honestly, this is like my favorite legacy statement because they are keeping her story alive and educating the next generation about her and her fight for civil rights. And they do also include the whole massive resistance bullshit in that education. I'm like... Good for Virginia for owning up to it and educating, you know, students from their state on that history and the importance of what she did. Montan High School is now the Robert Rusa Montan Museum. And in 2010, artist Louise Brielle created a portrait of Barbara that now hangs in the museum. In 2017, after the Unite the Right white supremacy rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, which I'm sure is pretty fresh in a lot of our memories, during which a white supremacist drove his car into a crowd of people, injuring 19 and killing Heather D. Heyer. Um, So after this event, the governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, was interviewed by CBS This Morning. During the interview, a portrait of Barbara was shown in the background. And during the interview, he said, quote, Over my shoulder is Barbara Johns, who at 16 years old led the revolt at Prince Edward County, Virginia, when we had white schools and black schools. And she said, quote, our schools are inferior. And she led a revolt of 400 students in the 50s. This is what we need as leaders. Yeah, we do. Barbara was also featured in the New York Times Overlook No More series, which we've talked about a lot. Look it up. It's cool. Seriously, it, look it up. Yeah. There's a lot of women in there. Oh, we we like, covered there, so many women. There's a chunk of men in there, too. Mainly men of color. Um, but there's a lot of women in there. Yeah, and especially a lot of women of color, because unfortunately, discrimination right. compounds. Yeah. So in 2020, Barbara was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in Seneca Falls, y'all. Finally, as recently as December 16, 2020, so just wow. a few months ago, Virginia's Commission on Historical Statues in the it's U.S. Like Capitol yeah, voted to replace the statue of Robert E. Lee, which represents the state in the national statuary. So I guess there's a... I didn't know this. There's a natural national statuary where each state has a statue of a person that represents their state and virginia's is robert e lee which is understandably like maybe we yeah don't these want days there. it's kind of like um so they voted to replace robert e lee's statue with a statue of barbara so the Ooh. statue of robert e lee was in fact removed in late december and is slated to be replaced by barbara pending a formal vote so virginia don't let us down. You know what you need to do. I mean, at least they removed that statue. Right. So now seeing Barbara get so much love and recognition so recently is amazing. But this is only happening after her story was long swept under the rug. And a huge part of this was because of her age. In his book, uh, Parting the Waters, America in the King Years, 1954 through 1963, author Taylor Branch summarizes this whole situation beautifully. Quote, 
The case remained muffled in white consciousness, and the school child origins of the lawsuit were lost as well on nearly all, and again, some dated language, Negroes outside Prince Edward County. The idea that non-adults of any race might play a leading role in political events had simply failed to register on anyone, except perhaps the Klansmen who burned a cross on John's front yard one night. And even then, people thought their target might not have been Barbara, but her notorious firebrand uncle, who was a civil rights activist. So everyone was like, well, this girl just led a strike of her all-black school demanding equal rights, and the KKK burned a cross on her lawn, but it can't be about her. It must be about her uncle who's, you know, an older, you know, an right. adult and a man. So I'm like, guys, you're reaching way too far. And this is so important for us to remember. Youth are critical for the advancement of civil rights. They're yeah, full they are. of fire and idealism that drives action. And like, at what age are you entitled to rally against injustice? There is no in age limit on suffering injustice so why is there an age limit on fighting it and we see this even today when youth get involved in activism or yeah. politics they're told like, to shit sit happens. down they're told to sit down and shut up because you're not old enough to know well the adults in charge I'm aren't doing a great about, job like, one girl's name that greta thunberg yes. yeah like that's who i think about like she got here and they were like, you're a child. What do you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, I know bullshit when I see it. it you don't have to be that old to detect bullshit. Right. And even um, the, uh, the the students who were, oh, God, I can't remember the school name. The Stoneman Douglas High School. Okay. So so the a lot of the students at the Stoneman Douglas High School after that school shooting became activists and started speaking out against gun violence and advocating for tighter gun laws to prevent people who might do something this horrific and awful from getting a hold of the tools they need to do it and they were told to sit down and shut up because what do they know they were there right they were there they They were some of them almost died like ah It's just, it's so frustrating. And it's like, instead of evaluating or discrediting someone on their age, let's discredit them based on what they say or what their policies are. Because we should be doing the same thing for adults. Just because someone's an adult doesn't mean they they know what's right. So that is the incredible, amazing, cinema-worthy story of Barbara Rose Johns Powell. Thank you. And now I can drink my wine in peace. Ours, like really strongly coincide with one another and it's crazy but i have to pee first okay check or swipe all right so i guess it's my turn now i'm very excited yeah like it's weird because you're like talking and i'm like i shouldn't see your notes because i see some really sad words (laughs) i'm just like death (laughs) death and no that was the end no no they were they were words i cannot repeat oh yeah that's i didn't bleep them out in my notes but i won't be saying them okay thank you thank you for on would, behalf I of everyone never. listening. Yeah. So I'm covering Anne Atwater. She was born Anne George in 1935 in ha- Hallsboro, North Carolina. So we're on we're both on the East Coast. We're not cuz uh, yeah, we're not that far away. I was going to say is Virginia on top of North Carolina? Let me Google a state. <laughs> I don't know what our country looks I've like. I've had too much wine, but hey. Here's the thing. Katie said she likes drunk Kelly, so It gets really hard once you get like 
too far west of the Mississippi because that was when we were doing the whole like Western expansion manifest destiny. And basically people just started drawing a bunch of squares and rectangles and we're like, yeah, this is a state. Virginia is right on top of North Carolina. Okay. So we're neighbors. Yes. <laughs> um, so she was one of nine children to her parents who were sharecroppers, which we've talked about before. They're basically Bless people that mother. farm other people's land. It was like. It, it, it was like, uh, oh, slavery is illegal. How can we still keep these people indebted to us? Have them farm your land. Basically, you gave them their own piece of land, but you still owned it. And then you took like a share of their crops. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a whole thing. Yeah. Basically, it was what the South did after the, it's what, what during the Jim Crow South era. Yeah, where they're like, well, we can't like own you, but we can definitely take most of your money. And they like they right. charge they charge you for using the land. They took part they took a portion of your crops and they charged you for like any tools anything. or anything that you needed, which really sucks because you've just come off being a slave and you have no money and you have no tools. And so it's right. like them capitalizing on the oppression oh, of yeah. black it's, people it's because terrible. they didn't have the opportunity to get anything of their own. Right. Her father earned Five cents an hour. Oh my god! I don't even want to know what that is in today's money I because didn't it's look not it up enough. I don't want to. Know. It's not enough. I don't care. So that meant Anne and her siblings started working on farms as children, basically as soon as they could to help support the family. Like it's a family of eleven people. That's so many fucking people, right? man. <laughs> um, Anne actually recalled later in life that while working on a a white person's farm she was only given food through the back door and only after the white workers had already eaten because we have to continue to remind you that we think you're lesser than us right she was taught and she felt that whites were better than her and that they need that her their needs came before her and from a young age she learned to take second place it's kind of like in your story that they were saying like they're going to be taught things that are going to be ingrained in their head. And this is one of them. Yeah. How do you undo that damage? How do you undo that Feeling damage like to your self-esteem and yeah. your sense of self? Yeah. When literally all of society is telling you, yeah, you're second. Like, you should settle for it. Right. So she got married super young. Thir- she got married at 13 to a man Damn. named French. I know. It's. I mean, but when you're from a family of nine, it's probably like almost like your parents can't get out of here. Yeah. yeah. So she married a man named French Wilson. French Wilson. Yep. <laughs> it sounds like they're describing him instead of that being his name. Versus right. English Wilson and Irish Wilson. This is French, Fr- Wilson. This is French Wilson. He smokes a lot. No. <laughs> he likes to kiss with tongue. He smokes yeah. a lot, and no one. Did I ever tell you? I Frenched a French guy when I was studying abroad. It was terrible, wasn't I it? I almost threw up. Yeah. It was li- He was literally the worst French kisser I have ever experienced. And for a long time, I was like, I don't think I like French kissing. Because I was only like, I think 19 or 20 when it happened. And I thought that's what French kissing was. Because I was like, you oh, think the French guy would know? No, he didn't know what the fuck he was doing. And he was crazy. So, and I'm surprised because I'm Because I like to Google things. Okay. <laughs> it says a French kiss is called that because at the beginning of the 20th century, in the English-speaking world, the French had acquired this reputation for being more adventurous and passionate. But the term French kissing originated in America and Great Britain. So they're not actually like necessarily tongue kissing. That is just... hilarious. Oh, so we basically were like, funny. well, the French are really sexy, so they so must clearly use they tongue. use tongue. Because <laughs> yeah. we, uh, us and our Puritan values would oh. use tongue, those salacious French people do. <laughs> oh. Jesus Christ. Oh. That's insane. So her and French ended up moving from Hallsboro, which was kind of more like uh, in the country. Like it was, you know, not great job opportunities. So they moved to Durham, North Carolina. 
because it's a bigger city. There's better job opportunities. Um, they were really huge in the tobacco industry at the time and textiles. So, of course, like there's going to be a lot of jobs there. So they're like, OK, we're going to Durham. Smoking and clothes, things everyone needed back then. Right. And at the time, Durham had actually a fairly large population of biopic people with a lot of them actually being considered like middle class and educated. That's awesome. And then, of course, mixed with the whites and the the poor biopic people. Right. But it, it seems like there was more. Um, right. I know. More equal opportunity regardless yeah. of your race. Yep. So That's definitely cool. not a good or not a bad place to move to. Relatively speaking. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, because this was a segregated society, because we're in 1950-ish at this point. You Again, know? we're in the 1950s. Yeah. Because wow. she was born in 35, so we're we're in the same time period. I clearly missed that. So poverty was a huge problem then, especially for people of color, especially for black people coming, like you said, coming out of being slaves, having nothing, and then, and then being, being told, expected to live. And, and then being told that you don't deserve anything. It's it's like a mental beatdown. Like why would you why would you strive right? to achieve something that you've been told that you would never have? Yeah, you're you always going to be second place. Yeah. So just for context, in 1950, 28 percent of families lived below the designated poverty line, which was only three thousand dollars at the time. I think today's poverty line is seventy no fifty thousand. So the so the poor, poor African Americans of Durham had to fight both racially and class divisions you know so at least the middle class they kind of had like a slight edge up because they you know they have a little bit more buying power you know yeah they, they, only they were really more financially had to fight the racial stuff versus the racial and the poverty yeah everything gets a little easier when you have more money and then right? you get too much money in you so this is still a time when the whites are claiming superiority i'm gonna say whites because i'm white we're going to call us whites. Yeah. Well, and and that's how those they saw it. If you had those a lighter of complexion. European descent. Yeah. And they, they didn't care. You know, it's like they, they don't. Here's the thing. Not everyone who's European is white. These are facts. And not everyone who's white is European. These are facts. Anyways. And it, 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 a lot of it depends on kind of what you look like. So they talk about, um, and this is a total tangent, but people who are. Tangents uh, on this show? <gasps> <laughs> I'm getting old and I'm losing my train of thought now that I'm approaching 30. But, um, you know, there, there are people of Latinx descent who can pass as white if they have like a, a more fair complexion. Yep, yep. And they can benefit from white privilege because it's all because at the end of the day, it's all about how you look and how people perceive you. It is 1000. Which just should lend credence to how much of this is all bullshit. But whatever. Right. I'm turning it so you don't get to see my notes. I know. I keep like looking I know. Don't over. worry. I kept doing that on your notes. I'm the too. person that like will skip a few chapters ahead to figure out if my favorite character lived oh, or died see, because I can't deal with it. I don't do that because that would drive, that would absolutely drive me insane. I, I, I'm anxious. I can't deal with it. Sometimes I'll do it like on like Grey's Anatomy because I'm so far behind. <laughs> but like something will pop up in a headline. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm reading that. So like I know so many plot points from the later seasons because I just had to know, but I can't do it in books. Jared and I have been watching 11 63 which is the show where James Franco goes back in time to stop the Kennedy assassination. We have one episode left. Of and we all just, the people we would send. We cannot. I know. But uh, it, it's because the diner owner has a magic time portal in his closet and he likes James Franco. Oh he didn't choose him wisely, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, we have one episode left. One episode. And we just cannot find the time to watch it. And it is 
taking all of my energy not to just see how it turns out because oh I'm God, like, so I, I'm like, I just want to know. I just want to know what happens because here's the thing. The show's been out since 2016. So everyone who's aware of how it ends is like, Emily, you dumb bitch. But if they end it where he like goes back and starts over, I am going to throw my TV it's, out it's the like window. It's like those shows that ended and it's, it was all a dream. It's like, fuck, fuck you. That, shit. that worked once. That worked once. No, and everything is, else is garbage. Is, it didn't even really work once because people were still really mad. Ugh. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Who are we talking Way about? Way tangenty. Ugh. So we're talking about the poverty line, black people, Durham, North Carolina. Different forms of discrimination, oppression yep. based on class and, and race. Un- yeah. And how whites were claiming superiority. And unfortunately, in this time, this happened a lot. And we've seen it with the LGBTQ plus community as well, that the wealthier African-Americans started not wanting to associate with the poor African-Americans because, oh, they, you no. know, and so you had, more you had that people. going on. And so you have like a lot of different struggles going on in Durham, North Carolina. But because there was a prosperous black uh, African-American business section, it really made this city in particular like a beacon of hope for African-Americans in the South. Well, there is more opportunity for them to kind of fulfill the American myth of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Oh, yeah, 1,000%. Unfortunately, Anne's husband uh, was not one of those people. Oh, French. He um, struggled financially, and then as things didn't go well for him, he went downhill and became the asshole that everybody sometimes does. Not everybody does. But he became alcoholic and abusive and really terrible. And Anne was like fuck this shit at this point they had two daughters oh no. and she was like you know what it is better to not be around you and take my daughters with me than be with you so she divorced him and raised their two daughters on her own as a single mother which is amazing fucking a Anne. all right she's like fuck this shit good so, for so her it's m- hard to do nowadays right they moved into this like shitty little place she was only making $57 a month from welfare, so not a lot of money. She struggled to pay rent. She managed to kind of make ends meet and put food on the table for her children because she would occasionally work as a um, domestic housekeeper, basically, yep. for, you know, the rich white people. Um, she would also make dresses out of flour and rice bags for her daughters and herself to wear. Okay, our local history center just posted something about clothes that were made from flour and rice bags and grain bags and things like that. Think about how itchy that would be. Well, no, here's the thing. They used to have contests for like who could make the best repurposed clothes because this is at a time where everyone made their own clothes, especially if you don't have a lot of materials you're working with. And the dress that they showed that had like won a contest or something, I'm like, I would fucking wear that. That is gorgeous. So, yeah, that was totally a thing. And it became such a thing that there were totally competitions for making flower bag dresses. And I feel like that is our next, like, green repurpose movement. Like, I'm going to make my clothes all out of coffee bean bags now. Right. This, it's going to be ridiculous. My house is going to be made out of a coffee bean bag because I'm so green. <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing so much shade instead at of, green people. tar paper shacks, it'll be coffee bag shacks. Y- yes. <laughs> You're funny. Goddamn. That's actually But hilarious. that was totally a thing. And there were contests for do like who could do it the best. And they were gorgeous. <laughs> Looked Anyways. like something from Mod Cloth. <laughs> Unfortunately, 
one of the reasons she made the dresses out of that is because that was really all she could afford for her kids to eat was you know rice, cabbage, um, fat back, which is basically like the too fatty parts of meat that other people yeah. don't want to buy. She's not doing it to be trendy or green. She's doing nope. it out of survival. And unfortunately, the place that she was living in was a shithole. Oh, no. The faucets in the bathroom were faulty. They would often shoot out water that her kids nicknamed it Niagara Falls. Oh, my God. The house was full of holes. The bathtub at one point fell through the floor. Shut up. That happens. Yep. I always thought that was like a TV thing. Um, So she joked in, a, in an interview, quote, the house was so poorly wired that when the man cut off her lights for non-payment, she could stomp on the floor and the lights would come on and she'd stomp on the floor and they'd go off again. Oh, my God. It's like that's her. That's her own words, too. Being like, it's yeah, like shithole shit clap house. lights. Yeah, was right? she living in Barbara's school? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, and she also joked that the house didn't need windows because she could see everyone on the streets through the cracks in the walls. Oh, my God. God. Luckily, one day a housing organizer came by to ask if she needed help to get repairs. She didn't even know she could ask for repairs. So the person that she met was named Howard Fuller. Please tell me this is the best meet cute ever. Uh, I don't think they get married now. Oh, okay. So, you know, they ran into each other. Uh, she had to go to the welfare office to see if she could get $100 to pay her overdue rent. But then she was like, you know, let me show you around. So she showed him her house because, you know, he's like a home person. Yep. And he invited her to join her program. So this is a program that is called Operation Breakthrough. Ooh. That's a better name than Operation Paperclip. So this is a program to help people escape poverty. So in Anne's case... Anne and Howard, Howard went with her to go see Anne's landlord to demand repairs for her house. And much to Anne's surprise, her landlord actually agreed to fix some of the problems. <laughs> he just never thought anyone would ask. I bet he was right? like, oh, my God, you're asking? Sure, and he was so not? shocked. Yeah, he was right? like, yes. Oh, and I mean, she had a white guy with her. Oh. I'm, I'm, let me double check. I never actually Googled him. So I actually uh, there's a there's someone I know who lives up in the cities and he recently had a had a situation with his car and no never mind he's a black guy okay well th- th- this is kind of like a modern eye opening story so he's a black man um, his car was in an impound lot after being in an accident Ooh. and the impound lot wouldn't let him take any of the stuff out of the car what. Like, like he, he couldn't afford to get the car out of the impound lot, but it was already trashed. But they wouldn't let him take any of the stuff out. And people were like, hey, you should go with a white person. And he tried that and they still wouldn't. But the fact I mean, that it was good, like, but... well, it's still bullshit. Yeah. But it, it was one of those things like, OK, are they saying no because, because that's what they do or because I'm black? And I'm like. I would have never thought that. Like, maybe I get as far as thinking I should have a guy with me at the mechanic to right. make sure they don't fuck me over. Because it's not just because of w- I'm a woman. It's because I know I don't know anything. And they probably assume I don't because I'm a woman. And I don't. But, you know, it, it's that whole, like, having someone of privilege to hold other people accountable. That's right. that's still a yeah. thing people have to think about and contend with. It's 2021, God damn it! I am angry because this is in, what, the 1950s? Yep. So we're going back to the 1950s. So this is 70 years. Right? It's so bad. God damn. I know. Okay. I lost my place in my notes. Thanks, Emily. <laughs> 
See, that's better than I do because sometimes we get so angry. I just go like cross-eyed and my vision goes. I'm like, I can't even read my notes. I'm so angry. Right. <laughs> so after, after they went and met with her landlord, um, she went to this Operation Breakthrough. A lot of it was discussing how the poor had to work together to get the government's attention in order to solve poverty, which is great. And this is what really like turned on the light bulb in her head, if you will. Like she was like, this is my calling what are you googling i was googling operation paperclip because i referenced that i couldn't remember it was breakthrough no i know but i made a joke about how it's a better name than operation paperclip and then i started to doubt that i knew what operation paperclip looks like i see the nazi symbol yeah it was basically them recruiting a bunch of nazi scientists after world war ii to help us get to the oh you mean us not them you said them you mean us No, no, no 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 The United States recruiting a bunch Nazi, of Nazi yeah. scientists and basically giving giving them pardons to help us with get to the moon and science things. stuff. So yeah, yeah. stupid, yeah. stupid so fucking name. Stupid. So I want to work not for the CIA the naming yeah, organization because I would make amazing names. So as Operation Breakthrough began, they really began helping people define and accomplish tasks in order to build a pattern of achievement. Basically, they're working on. Building the black community's self-esteem. Well, and that's awesome because I can't tell you how many times I have a task right? and I'm like, I don't even know where to start. And that just paralyzes me where I'm like, so I won't there's, start. There's too much. And yeah. I don't know where to start. Exactly. It's like, who so, do I call? Who do I, what do I even Google? I don't know how to Google anymore. Right. So like I said, it helped them gain confidence. And using that confidence, they would achieve change and escape poverty. That That was like what they were hoping to yeah. achieve. So they they would give them job training. They would give them after school tutoring. They would teach them what their rights were. Like, so they were doing all these things to kind of like, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's amazing. And what was awesome is um, Howard, the guy that was kind of running at least this chapter of it, um, would meet with each and every resident that was enrolled in Operation Breakthrough. Oh, Howard. I like so him. yeah, he would he would get to know them personally and help identifying help identify their specific issues. I wish we had that now for uh, people who in poverty because I know right? there are a lot of systematic things that keep people in poverty. Like the system, actually, the, the, the cycle of poverty is very I hard to break today out of. That Minneapolis is opening this really cool shelter where it's it's like group showers and stuff, but there's like basically little tiny pods. Like, they're tiny houses. They're, like, little, like, I don't even know what size they are, but they're, like, tiny houses that have, like, a bed and stuff like And it's for homeless people to come and, like, basically have a place where they can shower and sleep. And it's going to be climate controlled and all of this stuff. And they're calling it, like, Atwater, not Atwater, something village. I think I think I saw the but headline I, for I that. I read about that. And I'm like, yes. They, they've done like stuff it, like it that. It gives, gives them a place to take a shower so they can go to job interviews. Right. It gives them a place to sleep for free. Like, Because when you're so focused on surviving, how can you even think about getting out of your situation? Well, and it gives them like a place to put their belongings to. Because right. like, they have like basically a little house to themselves. That's amazing. And they've done stuff like that for homeless veterans to try to get to, um, like, I know, I think Minnesota is a part of the program to try to get to zero homeless veterans. It's like, okay, if it's working for homeless veterans, why can't it work for homeless people in general? That's cool. Yeah. But, but here's, so, so I, I know some people who really struggle 
with making it month to month. They're definitely paycheck to paycheck people. There are a lot of financial obligations and stressors and that kind of thing. And it's that situation where they don't even really know how to break out of it because they don't have the financial literacy or training or support And so something like this would be great where it's like, okay, we're going to help you take tiny steps to create long-term change. And we're going to teach you how to live within that budget and blah, 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 blah. That is amazing because it's hard work and I'm sure it's expensive for these programs to exist, but doing the hard work is how you create long-term change. Right. So this is amazing. I know. I know. Operation Breakthrough, man. Right. And slowly Anne really became like a leader among the participants. She she started really helping Howard. And she in particular began to represent poor people, not just black poor people, but poor people in general that specifically kind of had housing problems because that was really what got her into this. And she would actually go door to door telling other people about her previous housing problems and how she was able to like... Have confidence and, you know, go to her landlord and get some of her problems fixed, you know. And so she was talking it up. She came, became an expert on housing policy, policies in Durham, North Carolina. She would hand out welfare regulation manage- manuals. Like, she would get one, copy it, and then give it to other people. That's amazing because, honestly, the bureaucracy of, like, welfare and government assistance right? is so stressful. And knowing your rights... That, yeah. Which is what this, this manual tells you, basically, like such as asking landlords to fix things. They have to do it, guys. <laughs> that's huge. And that and that's honestly what a lot of not even the white South, the white people did in general. It was just like, you know what? If they don't know, then they can't. You we know, still exercise. see we still see instances, and this is not a blanket statement on landlords in general, but we still see landlords who take advantage of people who don't have just they don't the know. resources to to fight for the rights or even just the money. You know, they, they don't have the knowledge. They don't have the yeah. resources. So what the hell are they going to do? And unfortunately, the easiest people to take advantage of as tenants are, are people, people who are, yeah, impoverished. Because basically, if you're like, oh, I'm going to kick you out. What the they fuck get, are they you going to do? They get so scared that they're like, you know what? I'm not going to ask for yeah. anything. So her, Anne's goal was to mobilize the poor colored people of Durham to stand up for themselves and to teach people the necessary skills to survive. Again, cue, we're not going to take it. Right. I know when you were reading your story, I'm like, oh my God, my story goes so well. Not going to say the word so they can't sue me. So she also started fighting back against the lack of respect that white people would show black people. She knew in particularly welfare workers were really guilty of this. Like they would really just kind of ignore problems. Oh, you need our help? Mm, I didn't know about that. So, for example, she like so she would go with other people like to welfare meetings and stuff. So she noticed that when addressing a white person, the welfare worker would politely call the person over to the desk, have a nice private conversation, you know, what's your name? What's your address? But when addressing black people, they would just yell across the room, what what are you here for? Which would obviously embarrass the client. And then because they wouldn't like 
let them come over to the desk, they'd basically have to explain their really embarrassing situation in front of this room of people. Jared has seen that happen at the VA, which is totally a HIPAA violation. I don't know if they're held to those kinds of kinds oh, of standards of privacy. I'm, Probably at least not. If it's a medical facility, yes. Yeah, but like this is like how embarrassing because there's so much there's so much shame that gets attached to financial struggles and then yeah to do this and to purposely shame someone when you definitely have the resources and the ability and the training to like do it privately and you're just choosing to be a fucking asshole about it oh yeah fuck you right i'm, I'm flipping off your computer and like no offense computer please don't die on us no, but like God, fuck just the general atmosphere of that so much like um your woman my woman was like numbers that's gonna get shit done so one tactic she used is she gathered a group of women, because empowered women empower women, and they all went and visited the welfare offices frequently, and they had them push for change. They refused to answer questions across the room, and with their persistence, the office was basically forced to set up private booths for meetings with each client, which is a practice still in use today. Well, they were already doing it for white people. Yeah. <laughs> Ow. Oh my god! So good for I, them. They in they shamed them. Yeah, right. Into giving the same kind of treatment. Good for them. So all right, we're getting into the meat of it. We're in July 1971. Oh, when, when was Brown Brown versus Education passed? It was 1954. Okay, so we're we're taking a jump ahead. So. In 1971, the public schools were still segregated in North Carolina. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. So in um, that, so not not only in 1954 was Brown versus the Board of Education passed, but in the 1960s there were several federal civil rights legislations passed about the integration of public facilities as well. Mm-hmm. In North Carolina, it's just like meh. Well, I told you I was watching that Kennedy assassination show. In one of the scenes, Kennedy, before he's elected to be president, is giving this like campaign speech. I'm just gonna and finish it, this since no, you can't. Please, please do because I I gotta get out of here eventually. Um, Never. In in the crowd, there's a black woman sitting with like white people, and so immediately I'm like, "When was Texas segregated and all that?" Right? And it, it was the same thing. We're like, "Well, they were ordered to do it this time, but then it took like ten years for them to actually do it." And I was like, "Oh my god, yeah, this no. is exhausting." I mean, you saw it even with like the Jim Crow laws and stuff. Like when laws like that were passed, though South really dragged their feet well and it's it's holding holding them accountable where it's like we can tell you not to do this but we have to make sure you don't right exactly yeah it's like uh how would you enforce seat belts seat belts on a school bus right right anyways (laughs) school bus bringing it back little tin Um, death traps so the federal district court of durham um had 1971 just order the desegregation of schools to comply with the Supreme Court ruling. Many residents still oppose this, and the schools suffered from increasing racial tensions, and that made students really like anxious about the future. They started getting in fights about it because, of course, at home, if you have parents telling white students like no you're better than them they shouldn't be in your school of course those kids are going to go to school and be like i'm better than you i'm going to beat you the shit out of you getting empowered to become a bunch of violent racists right (laughs) fucking hey so to manage this transition a councilman named bill riddick called for a charade i'm assuming it's french 
So maybe it's maybe it's charrette. I keep all I'm all I want to do is like C H V one word charrette. It's C H A R R E T T E. So I'm calling it a charrette. Basically, it it means a a period of intense design or planning. Okay. I don't know why they didn't just call it like a planning committee or something, but <laughs> they're trying to be fancy. I'm gonna continue Get calling those pinkies it pinkies all the way. I'm up, gonna continue people. calling it a charade because okay. I just like. We're that. just gonna hold our no, Kelly. Not. People can't see your pinky. You, there we go. <laughs> You're <laughs> off camera. One. There. Here, wait. Charade. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna say. Why I'm happy. Charade. So these processes were basically ten days of town meetings. That were like 12 hours a day um, among a bunch of different residents. And they did it like they did it consecutively, basically to hear as many voices as humanly possible, which is actually really good. Only breaks to go on vacation to Cancun, mind you. Yeah, we're not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> That's it. That's the only reference we're making. We're done. <laughs> um, so to res- this was to resolve, obviously, the- all of these issues that are coming with this. So while Bill... Billy, as I like to call him, uh, recruited participants from all sectors sectors of the Durham, North Carolina area. He invited uh, Anne in particular to co-lead this with a man named C.P. Ellis. C.P. Ellis, I didn't. Actually, I love people with initials for first name. I like, didn't I look what up what his is. actual name is. <laughs> we don't know what their I real should've. name is. It's been but, lost to ages. <laughs> here's the kicker: C.P. Ellis, at the time. That he's asking both of these people to be co-chairs is the exalted grand cyclops of the Durham Ku Klux Klan. I'm sorry, the fucking what? <laughs> I know the what? I thought. I mean, it's better than like. I I was here's Cuba. the thing. I was Cuba. going to guess. I was going to guess Grand Wizard, right? and that's already no, fucking that's, stupid. Yeah, I didn't. This is like I'm, I'm gonna get so nailed on Google for googling this, but I want to know like what, what the fuck what are the they levels doing are? over there? What are they doing? I'm I are they're already doing all the wrong things, but it's like they're a bunch of stupid pissy kids coming up with code names and stuff. And there was actually there's a drunk history episode. Don't ask me details, but this guy infiltrates the KKK and then helps write radio plays for Superman and they use like the KKK's like secret handshakes and like passwords and stuff yeah. and they make the KKK the villain in these in these radio plays and so members of the KKK their children are playing Superman versus the KKK and they actually lost members because they're the laughing stock of right. society like these are fucking idiots yeah but it's, I mean, Exalted Grand, I mean, that tells you. He was basically almost, I think, the leader of the Ku Klux Klan I in the I don't area. even care about that. Cyclops I is know. what makes me fucking so, real. Anne Atwater and C.P. Ellis. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I need talk a about, like, two completely different people. Yeah, you think? Right. Oh, my God. So Ellis had only actually started regularly attending these meetings of the city council and the school board, basically to oppose these changes. He was like, nah, I don't want everything, you know, I don't want stuff I'm to I'm sorry, be- the KKK guys doesn't want integration. Color me shocked. Right? So when Anne first met him, obviously she had a very, very negative reaction toward him. <laughs> and not only because of like, 
he clearly held some views that she disagreed with, but also he was known for being very provocative. Like he would outright just call you slurs. That's why my notes say what they do. He he was like a loud and, and was, proud racist. Yeah. Oh, no. And he, he was very much, even what you see today, loud and proud that he would express his fears and resentments. And a lot of it would be inaccurate. He didn't, you know, like when people are like, oh, blacks are stealing all our jobs. It's like, no, you're a fucking idiot. He was just saying anything that would get people to think negatively right? of Here, black Here's people. one of his quotes and that actually doesn't have the bad word in it. Blacks are taking over the city. They got all the good jobs and you're all sitting here letting them do it. That's funny. I forgot that that was the quote about. Are you fucking serious right now? Literally, I know he couldn't do this at the time, but Google a statistic. That's not. (laughs) He also said that black people should stay on the other side of the railroad because they had no business in town. Fuck you, CPLS. You fucking Cyclops son of a bitch. Right? Your name. Like your whole title is something that an eight year old would come up with. Right. Jesus Christ. So obviously Anne hated him. Like there's no other. I term. hate him. I um, hate him. So was, here, here's some things they said about one another. So Ellis originally told um, a, a person that Atwater was an effective boycotter. She would make progress and he hated her guts. Okay, that's a compliment. And she, and she <laughs> coming said, from him. she said, quote, I almost killed C.P. Ellis a couple of years before we, we would work together to integrate Durham schools. We were at a meeting downtown together and he kept yelling N-word this and N-word that. I pulled out the knife that I kept in my handbag and I opened the blade. As soon as he got close to me, I was going to grab his head from behind and cut him from ear to ear. But my pastor was sitting there and saw me holding the knife. Oh he grabbed God. my hand and said, don't give them the satisfaction. Nothing but God's grace and mercy kept me from killing the man and going to jail. You know what bothers me about that? Not the fact that she didn't murder him. Like, that's not it. But the fact that there's this whole idea of like, no, fuck them. Just punch them or, you know, go to the most extreme action. That doesn't solve anything. Even in cases of extreme oppression... The people who act violently who are oppressed will be judged for that. But the people who act violently who are the oppressors will be somehow justified. So, like, fighting your way out of it violently is almost completely taken away as an option for you because you're demonized for it. Yeah. Like, we see these, um, these... racial massacres like from Tulsa and all that stuff where it's oh no the white people were completely justified in going and murdering everyone it's like no 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 why no stop it like no I love that god I and honey I love you right (laughs) I love her and I I feel so bad because I don't think she would have done that lightly I don't think most people are like I'm gonna kill this person lightly no no she just clear I mean he's the basically the leader of the Ku Klux Klan like of course she's gonna fucking hate him he's a son of a bitch straight oh yeah no he 100% unapologetic yeah he doesn't give a shit yeah he like takes pride in pissing people off. Yeah. Like he's and he's that person that he just goes yep. around spouting nonsense, basically. Why is this sound like why am I having to Yeah, why is this like Does this feel so, so recent? recent. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I'm down just like wow. No, I'm like We're getting terrible. I'm getting so angry. I'm getting I'm so worked up and I want to punch people. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take a I'm gonna take, take a, a page moment. from Anne's book and her pastor's book and not. Take a moment, breathe. Breathe deep breaths. It gets better. I promise. This is this is the this is the low point. 
Okay. So eventually Anne agrees. Like, obviously, initial she was like, nope. They both thought it was absolutely impossible. You know, they didn't want to do it. But eventually Anne agreed. And uh, actually, I this is a movie that I think we should watch together. So there's two. Because the, eventually this got made into a movie called The Best of Enemies and then An Unlikely Friendship. Do they become friends? Shut the fuck up! So as they work together... Anne and CP. That's what I'm going to call him. CP. CP. I'm assuming his name is Cyclops person. Chris. Cyclops person. Okay. Cyclops. Uh, Anne and Cyclops started to realize that they had some commonalities. I mean, when you're stuck together for 12 days for 10 hours or 10 days, 12 hours a day at a time, shit's going to come up. Yeah. Anyways, they started to realize that both of their children were o- ostracized mainly because their par- like they were working together. So like their kids were getting bullied because their parents were working together. And they realized that the main thing that they both wanted and the thing that mattered, the reason they were there is that they wanted their children to attend schools that were free from violence. You know, so they're like, as working about this, they're like, okay, we need to set aside our differences and do this for the children. I love how children save the day in this episode. <laughs> right? So we've got 16 year old um, activists and we have children turning racists into right? like so understanding people. CP would go on to say, quote, here we are, two people from the far end of the fence having identical problems, except her being black and me being white. The amazing thing about it, her and I up to that point had cussed each other bawled each other. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was to say brawled. Brawled each other and we hated each other. Up until that point we didn't know each other and we didn't know we had things in common. I guess at the end of the day that's kind of the message that we all want security. We all want stability and right? unfortunately some people's idea of stability is the eradication or the oppression right? of another group of people which is non-negotiable entirely but if this guy can... I, I yeah. I'm hoping he can turn it around. He does. Fingers so crossed. So they started talking about the hardships of raising children in poverty. Just because, I mean, just because you're a cyclops doesn't mean you're rich. <laughs> if anything, it's harder. Right? The emphasis on trying to really reach their children's potential to equal that of even just middle class children when you're below the poverty line. And eventually they they learn to work together. And actually, to, ev- to everyone's surprise, probably including them, they started becoming friends this is they started moving past their races to begin focusing on the issues that actually mattered everybody take a page from this such as the academic not only the desegregation of the schools but just the academic quality of the schools that their kids are going to be going to ellis in particular began to realize that the people of color were not suppressing like the poor Black people weren't suppressing the poor white people. It was the richer people were suppressing the poorer people. And he began to see that. And he began to see that just because the color of your skin was different, it didn't matter. You were suffering from the same problems. They found a common enemy. Basically. In the high, like the wealthy class of people and class of suppression. That is so fucking Um, crazy. That's so so relevant. So basically through all of this, Anne had made CP begin to question his way of thinking and like be like, oh my God, like this way of thinking, probably what he was raised in basically 
is wrong. It's flawed. It's wrong and it's yep. flawed. Like if you take any critical so, thought to it, it falls and apart. And by the end of this 10-day charade, charade, um, CP gave up his leadership in the KKK. He was like, you know what? You know, the people of color are not our, this is not our issue, guys. It's the rich people. Eat the exactly. rich. <laughs> so, oh my God. By the end of the charade, Anne and CP presented to the school board a list of recommendations that, you know, was the charade's point, basically. So, this, it included the following giving students a larger say on the educational issues that they face. Um, expanding the board of ed- like the board of education to include s- two students from each major racial group. Oh, so the board is made up of students? No, it would be like members. Like it would basically be a, a mix, so that students actually had a say in what they're okay. learning and what the okay, problems are. So adding students to the board of a racially two, diverse yeah, background okay okay ra- like i think that's awesome that is cool they proposed changes to the school curriculum such as instruction on dealing with racial violence creation of groups discussion re- problem res- pro- <laughs> problem resolution so that like things didn't escalate into fights anymore and they also recommended the and the expansion of textbooks to include african-american authors so like I all of this all came of out that. of it. I know. I feel like we should have some of that stuff, like especially like making sure conflicts don't escalate to violence. I feel like we should definitely teach that in schools because so many kids don't know how to deal with feelings and conflict without escalating to violence or in my case, completely ignoring them and then letting them fester until they grow right. into an uncontrollable mental illness. Exactly. <laughs> Healthy choices have been made. So one of the reasons that that this is later in life. C- CP said that one of the reasons he thinks that they did so well, which is funny because I never found out the outcomes, but I assume the because sh- the charade was like a planning thing. It wasn't like a suggestion thing. I assume they implemented it. It wasn't just like a suggestion things. box exactly. that, gets, that collects dust. What I think is cool. So CP later went on to say that Anne's voice was deep and powerful and she had the ability to energize her audience and she was a very effective leader. And so he like cr- kind of credits her for like being able to bring that energy and like to the school board and be like, hey, this is what we need. She was not afraid to voice her opinion as we've seen throughout the story. And what was funny is actually like, I, I included this later because it's I I find it funny. So C.P. Ellis said that she, <laughs> that her most effective method of getting people to listen to her was to ho- literally quote, holler at them. And when she called the <laughs> meeting, she meant business. So they they go on to talk about one particular meeting with a councilman. Like, I think it was like a whole council meeting, but Anne was talking and he wasn't listening to her. He didn't care what she was saying. And she got so mad that she hit him on the head with a telephone receiver. So for those of you who don't know, telephones used to be attached with the wall. They and used the to not was just the be point this that he, thing. This, basically... <laughs> This would be the receiver, and there would be a cord attached to the thing that actually was connected to the telephone line. I hate that this is something that we may have to explain. To I really people. hope we don't, because I feel like our audience, with the way we talk, should be old enough to know what that is. But yeah. you know, just in case, <laughs> for all of you little babies who definitely should not be. Yeah, listening. so she just like smacked him on the head with a telephone receiver, and he actually like sat down and listened to her. Like he was like, "Oh shit, you're serious." Jesus Christ. 
She didn't knife anyone, but she wasn't afraid to smack right? you with a phone. Another thing that would often happen is when um, black people were talking, particularly black women. God, I wonder why. White councilmen would like turn their chairs around and like not listen to them. Um, so what she told other people to do and what she started to do, would she would go up and turn their chairs back around. Oh, I'm sorry. And did you forget how your chair yeah, works? No. You're supposed to be she facing this way. would force them to face her. And this surprised so many of them that they basically, like, were shocked into listening to her. <laughs> yeah, bitch. Home alone face. <laughs> right? So, oh, my God. Yeah, because I bet they're not expecting anyone to do anything about it. Right. She, she's confronting yeah. bullies. So, basically, she was known to be demanding and outspoken. But unlike today, when people call women that and they mean it negatively... She took these qualities to heart and she became a very successful activist and organizer. So even after she co-led this charade with CP, she continued to work for the poor and middle class community in Durham. Um, she would go on to marry in 1970 or marry again, I guess, in 1975. And she and CP would continue their friendship to the end of the life to the point that when CP Ellis died in 2005, Anne was asked to deliver his eulogy. Shut the there is something so beautiful about that. Like somebody like, like here's the thing. making this realization and being like, I was so wrong. Right. I like, here's the thing. I said a lot of nasty things about CP, but you even said at one point, though, you're like, I hope he turns this around. I do. But here's the thing. That is the ultimate goal. You know, you, you can't undo the harm that you've already put out in the world, but you can prevent doing any more harm right and, and like that's, like, what I that's love is the he, goal he turned around to better the next generation yeah that is he like honestly if he was just like oh i'm gonna just not be a ku klux klan member i wouldn't give him that much credit i would just be like okay you're still a shitty person that's just like eh, maybe I'm i shouldn't gonna do be that like a but the fact that he's racist. like okay my views were wrong and we need to change this for the next generation that's the only thing that i'm like okay you actually are like you're actually actively working to redeem yourself that gives me so much hope because you see people with such extreme views and especially they, they right? kind of come into our periphery after they've done something really irreprehensible usually an act of violence and you just think like god this person had just like poofed off the planet we would be so much better off but honestly the real end goal is to just kind of get people to change their way of thinking and to become agents for positive change versus violence right? and aggression and oppression like i give i give him a lot of credit because deep programming that kind of thinking is hard like we, right? we, we talk about deprogramming you know thinking that you're lesser and i'm not trying to equate the two directly but reprogramming the way you view the world and the way you think about other people is so difficult especially when it's ingrained from you from day 1 and to question those things and so, and to change your thinking is really admirable and like even if it's not necessarily like racism or prejudice we all need to question why we think things or why we feel a certain way and get to the yep. root of it and figure out is this a healthy way to view the world right Oh. And that's exactly what he realizes. CP. Is... I'll call him CP now. <laughs> yeah, right. He can, he can be CP instead of Cyclops. Yeah. But, you know, like, yeah, he just he had this, like, a realization, this, like, light bulb moment of, like, everything that I was taught is wrong, and I'm going to work to fix it. You know what CP stands for? Cyclops previously. Hey. <laughs> 
sorry. I'm sorry. That's so funny. So she would go on just to continue like working in the field. There's not like a ton of like I couldn't find anything like super notable about her later life. She just kept hitting it, hitting it hard. She would be and she would pass on a lot of those life lessons she learned. Um, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, which is the director of a school school for conversion. I have to look that up because that sounds so bad. I was going to say the word conversion always makes me like cringe because I always so think I of conversion to... therapy, which is just straight up child okay, abuse. Okay, this is uh, School for Conversion works for, for beloved communities that unlearn habits of social division. Okay, great. So kind of what she did with CP. Yeah, okay. She converted yep. him to not being a raging so, like, racist. He he became a really good friend, of, obviously, because he's working on the same mission like in her later life. And one of his quote... Uh, like basically that's what she did during her later life was to teach these other people this life lesson and she said he said about her quote she knew people who aren't supposed to be friends can be friends the legacy she leaves here is a woman who showed us you can love your enemy she's a better person than i am like most of the women we cover are better people than i am but this one i feel like i'm like yeah i it's right. very easy me personally, it's very easy to become angry and stay angry and for right. her to overcome that in such an extreme situation where someone basically is saying your existence is awful. Like yeah. you shouldn't no, exist. It's terrible. And for her to overcome that, not that she should have to, but that's really incredible. Damn, Anne. Right? Isn't she like she's amazing? I'm no, sorry. she's otherworldly to me. I, actually, I shouldn't even say that because that almost puts her on like an elevated status. She's amazing, but this can happen. People can grow and change their toxic and harmful views. Right? Exactly. And I, I think that's just such an amazing thing. But this isn't about him. This is about her. So, like I said, she she was working with. Jonathan at the School of Conversion and what her title was freedom teacher. That's the she, and she title. she would go on to mentor young people and activists in the community and work on what is what she not what she called but what is known as fusion politics. So basically like this combining of ideas and all of this stuff that we all just need to get on board with. They did name after her passing um they named it the Ann Atwater Freedom Library. And they continue her work of, quote, making surprising friendships possible. I'm not crying. You're crying. I actually was crying oh at this point God. in my notes. I was like, this is beautiful. That is beautiful. Um, unfortunately, um, she did die in June of 2016. So actually fairly oh my recently. God. And for the last like three years of her life, she was wheelchair bound. Not because she had like an illness. I actually couldn't find what she died of. Um, but this is a How quote. Old was she? Um, I mean, if she was, what, she's born in the 30s. So she, I mean, she was probably pretty old. Yeah. I mean, decent. She she Deece. lived to around the time that Barbara probably should have lived to. Decent. <laughs> uh, she was 80. Oh, okay. But like, um, so in 2013, when she did an interview, so she was talking to people in 2013, um, she was wheelchair bound at the time and she, she, she was still a fighter. And this is her quote. And I absolutely love this. She said, the reason I'm not running around on the streets and fighting is because I fell and broke my leg in two places and I'm not able to get out, but I still holler at folks. Oh my God. She's like, my legs that may be broke, quote. but my voice became stronger. Right? <laughs> oh my God. So I she, love like, her. She worked as long as she couldn't. She, like I said, she died June 20th, 2016. So not that long ago. I'm mad. I've never but heard like of I said, her. She, she was 80. So like, 
It was probably na- if I can't find a cause of death, I would assume it's natural. She causes. probably didn't get hit by a bus or no. something. Literally, someone said that the other day, and I like had to like mute my microphone because we were on a Zoom call. I had to mute my microphone and start. I was laughing. <laughs> like literally, we were talking about something, and they were like, "Oh, you know the whole if someone gets hit by a bus thing," and I was like. Don't laugh at people tragically getting hit by buses. Don't laugh well, at people tragically thing, like, getting hit by buses. I'm not even joking. Like a year ago, we literally had one of our coworkers hit by a bus. I'm like, are why? You serious? And she died. I'm like, why are we still using this as a reference? Oh no! Right? I, didn't I thought know it was cute. That. No, I. I mean, it. I didn't know her that well, but it's still tragic. What I actually really like though is I had a meeting like two weeks ago, and the person instead of saying if someone gets hit by a bus, what she says is if someone goes on a two week long vacation. Like, because she knew the coworker I had, and then she had an additional coworker that also got, like, she's like, she's like, what I don't, up with she's your like, department. no, that she's from a different department. Okay. She just happened to know the person in my department, but she's like, I don't want to put the bad juju out in the world. So I just, instead of using the hit by a bus example, I use that if they go on a long vacation, I'm like, can you say that about me? I want to go on a long vacation. Right. I want to get, I want to get you know kismet right? karma into a long vacation i think she's getting kismet and karma into a long vacation right? oh can you imagine like being close to someone who gets hit by a bus and that's such a common like colloquialism like oh yeah you could get, get hit, hit by, by a bus, bus. i'm like, like oh, God. yeah that could actually happen they don't have seatbelts on those things they don't have seatbelts people stand on them anyways <laughs> kelly's go, making choices we're gonna go on the legacy all right so this is a cool one because so, so I put them all at the end. I could have dispersed, dispersed them throughout the story because some of them did happen while she was alive, but okay. I decided not to. So in 1967, she was still alive. She was recognized as Carolina Times Woman of the Year. Yay. Polite so the, the Best of Enemies, which I mentioned before, obviously, was originally a book that was written about her friendship. The book was adapt- adapted into a play, which premiered on the day that Nelson Mandela died in 2013. Oh, God. Just talk about, like, weird things that happen it's in the very universe. Very auspicious. Um, and then in 2019, so just two years ago now. It's 2021, I right? can't believe you're saying two years ago. I know. Like, I had to, like, year. think about it. Um, <laughs> it. There was a movie that came out. And I feel like I vaguely remember something about the movie. Anyway, so in 2013, December 6th was also declared to be an Atwater Day in Durham, North Carolina. So, dear people of North Carolina, please celebrate that. Sorry, what date was that? Uh, December 6th, 2013. All right. I think that's the day that the movie came out and Nelson Mandela died. Let me double check. Oh, yeah. It, it's funny because... Sorry. The, no, that's the day after the movie came out and Nelson Mandela died because he died on the 5th. Okay. Yeah, the, the movie poster is like the profile of Anne, like looking all powerful yeah. and badass, and then CP just like standing full by smoking a cigarette with aviators. I really want to watch it. I, I'm, I'm afraid to, but I also do. I'm definitely going to cry. Okay, here's a word for you. <laughs> Anne was recognized along CP as the main honorees by the sesquicentennial. Sesquicentennial. Yep. Do you know what that means? It's 150. Jesus Christ. Sesquicentennial Honors Commission at the Durham County 150 Closing Ceremony in Durham, North Carolina in 2019. You know what would be easier? Just saying the 150th anniversary. Why do we have to come up with these insane names? This was obviously posthumous recognition because they're both dead for their contributions and desegregation of the public schools in 1971. Wow. 
if you told me at the beginning of the story that this would end with a former KKK Cyclops and a black female activist. Well, and what I love is she being was, honored for like, desegregation. You, I would call bullshit. Right? You know how like even today, if a woman is outspoken or she takes charge, she's called bossy. And it's supposed to be a bad thing. Oh, I was going to say Here, she's hot. Right. Cause I know, like, whew. <laughs> I mean, look at us. Uh, <laughs> I'm like so far out of frame. This is gonna be such a bad video, but this is how I sit and you guys are gonna have to deal with it. And I've had like two glasses of wine. Not good. Kelly's rolling. I am. Katie, it's for you. You said Katie! you love drunk Kate. You love drunk Kelly. This is for you. Um, she's not a patron. She'll hear the episode. I know. It's fine. It's a moment of, hey, if you want to watch me be drunk. One dollar. Katie, I'm calling you out, Katie. You've been a beautiful moral support. Now be a financial supporter. (laughs) Pay for our lovely wine. One dollar. Anyways, (laughs) it reminds me of there's a a show I watch on YouTube and whenever they like plug their merchandise and stuff in the background, it's like plug, 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 plug. They have a little (laughs) song that plays and I'm like, that's fantastic. I know that's what I do. And every time I hear it, I'm like, plug your own merchandise. It's like what you have to do to like survive. Like I can like I I'm done with my story, so it doesn't matter. We're gonna go on another tangent. Or are we done? Yeah, stand up. Um <laughs> But like people who su- manage to support themselves, whether it's through YouTube or a podcast or like whatever, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like that has to be your life. Like, because there's a lot of people that are like, oh, gamers on YouTube, like Oh, they're so lazy. I'm like, no, do you understand how much time goes into that? Not only do you have to first play the game, and the thing is you have to play it well enough that not only are you maybe, like, there's a lot of streamers that are like, I don't enjoy the games I stream. Because you have to do it in such a way, like, you kind of have to talk to yourself. Yeah. And I mean, that's not, luckily we have a co-host in podcasting, because oh my God, that would be so bad if I didn't. But like, Things like that, like, and, you know, people are like, oh, it's so lazy to do a podcast and, like, manage. I'm like, no, do you understand how many, like, followers and shit you have to have in order to not have a job and do that? I'm like, I'm never going to get there, which is fine. Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not doing this with the intention to quit my job. Where there are some people that definitely do that. (laughs) I mean, you are the editor. So if anyone quits their job first, it's definitely you. Yes. Um... But you know what I mean? Like, there are people that purposely, like, someone I watch is Captain Sparkles, and I'm not trying to give him any follows, but he's someone that plays, like, Minecraft a lot. And yeah, he dropped out of school because he's like, this is what I want to do full time. And yeah, now he's super popular, but I'm like, think about what if if that just didn't work out. Yeah. I don't I, uh, remember how I got into it. See, this is how you know I'm drunk because I'm like, I don't remember how I got into this yeah. tangent. Well, there there was someone, there was someone, uh, I found Jaden Animations, and she does, like, cute animated videos and you know she talks about nerd culture she talks about stuff from her life you know it's just like cute and fun and she was in college for a bit but then dropped out to do like youtube full-time and god she's younger than me so of course i feel super inadequate and i just realized even even the work that we do for this podcast is a lot of work having a full-time job having a family Doing the podcast, oh God, it's a lot of if work. I kid, like if I had kids, I probably would. Like at least now with going to school, yeah, I would have had to going to if school. If I had your kids, kid. going no, to school. Is if your I kid. had kids, I probably would have had to be like I either wouldn't have gone to school, which wouldn't have been because of the podcast. It would have been because of the kids. Yeah, 
Or I would have had to be like, Emily, I can't do the podcast. Yeah. Which I'm really glad I don't have kids because I love this podcast. Yeah, I do too. But yeah, it, it's really hard. And I feel like it's very easy to underestimate all the work that goes into creating a podcast, creating the videos, creating the content. And I know especially lately we've been struggling with quarantine and with a lot of depression. Sorry, guys. Um, anxiety, <laughs> anxiety on this side. <laughs> Together we make a super broken human. Ooh, no practice. That was good. No, and I wasn't even watching um, you. I was watching the camera. Oh. <laughs> I just was like, yeah, maybe exactly. this we're will just like, it'll be fine. Um, but we're trying really hard. We're uh, we're working on some, trying to create some sustainable extra yeah, content for Patreon. Tonight. We're working on getting ahead too, so that when mental illness comes crashing down on our heads, we have some leeway to deal with that. So thank you so much for your patience. Thank you so much for your support, especially as Patreons. We were ahead, and that's why you haven't missed an episode in a yes. few weeks, because we were ahead, and then when mental illness came crashing down on our head, we're like, we're fine. Actually, it was this fucking camera actually, that came crashing down on our heads because no, it wouldn't work. No, but we're fine. We're... No, no, we're not fine. Never mind. We're on time. It's we're on fine. Time. We're Whatever. Good. Kelly... What am I thankful what for? The the thankful for? What the thankful fuck for? are you thankful for? What the fuck are you thankful for? Jewelry! I'm jazzed up. I know. I'm drunk. I'm getting McDonald's after this. Oh, uh, I ordered Applebee's. <laughs> oh, my God. Even, like, as I, as I was talking, I'm like, I'm ordering Applebee's. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love our... I'm cutting that out, actually. <laughs> um, What am I thankful for? What am I thankful for? I'm thankful for a really supportive half of my team. So, I there were some issues at wor- work this week, and I found out, like, some people are unhappy with the work that I do. And basically, it's come to the point where both my... Other some other people that I work with, I'm not I'm not gonna call it out just in case people listen, but which they don't. Let's be honest. But basically, it came down to most. The consensus is that the original people that had the complaint are just they're expecting perfection, and that's not a thing. So basically, everyone's like, "No, Kelly's fine. I don't know what you're talking about." Yeah, basically, about. the like, person is like, "I have these problems," and then my boss talked to me, and basically, I was able to tell my boss like, "Okay, either." I'm not the only person to blame, which I, and I'm, it's funny because I'm, and the thing is I did totally when my, my boss first talked to me, I'm the type of person that just like, I'm like a dog. I fucking roll over on my stomach and I'm like, I'm so sorry. Let me fix it. Yeah. Same. I am a people pleaser. <laughs> same. 10,000%. <laughs> but like some of the issues, they were so far either out of my scope or things that weren't just my fault that I couldn't not say something because I'm also like that like I can have a strong personality so like there were certain things that she was like oh they said this and I'm like I'm not the only person that on my team that does that so that is not just my fault well it's like okay if that's a problem that's something that we need to address on right like it's scale exactly it's not just me is kind of like so some of the things it was it was a it's not just me some of the things it was a I thought that was a one-off thing. Let me connect with them and like things like that. And what was really nice is I work really closely with one other person and that person, like she was supposed to have a meeting with our boss the day previous or the next day, like her, her yearly or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she actually, like after she heard about what I was going through, she like emailed our boss and was like, no, I want to talk to you now or not now, but I want to talk to you today. And she like went to bat for me and she was like, Hey, this is what's going on. Some of this isn't her problem. Like, and she basically told my boss the same thing. And yeah, it basically came down to that. It was like, okay, clearly these people have too high of expectations. Or, not yeah. because Kelly can't meet them, but because you're expecting something that's just not going to happen with anyone. Basically, it was a people mess up. 
it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You have to deal with that. Right, right. And I don't know if she's going to talk to my the people that are having the issues. And I'm fine with that because I think it's a lot of like, okay, we're all on the same page now. Let's give it like a few weeks and see how it goes. Well, and then she'll step in if she needs to it's nice because it sounds like you've kind of developed this reputation for like being a hard worker and doing your best so if there is an issue first of all they're giving you the right. benefit of the doubt but also that your co-workers would be like hey this seems to be getting blown right. out of and proportion so or this maybe not be like this isn't being um Some, addressed the right. way it should or it, it's an and overreaction I'll be honest, yeah, maybe I've, I've forgot stuff i've been sick my mental health hasn't been great like yeah i've missed some things in it but i'm type i'm the type of person when I like I'm like yeah I did I'm not saying I'm perfect but I'm asking for a little grace exactly you know and the the other thing is this is a new role like I'm in the same position my title hasn't changed but I'm supporting different people Mm -hmm. and it's only been a few months you're still learning and they keep changing things oh no and I so I think that's the other reason my boss is just kind of like okay you can't expect perfection like yes She's been in this position longer than the the other person, the person that went to bat for me. I've been at our job two years longer, but what we're doing in this position is a completely different way of working. Same title, different game. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. Like, we're trying something completely new. Like, we are basically a pilot section of what we do. Oh, fun. So you're an experiment. Exactly. And the person, the other person, has been there in this specific group longer than I have. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm like, I'm still learning and you're changing things like so it's it's but so I'm thankful for the people that did go to bat for me I'm thankful for my boss for being like you know what I don't think it's your work I think there's clearly like a miscommunication or you know yeah you're like it's like I started crying like she like told me someone had an like I'm an empath first of all and then second of all like I said I'm a people pleaser and then plus I was like sick and my mental health has been really shitty and so like she was like so they're having an issue and just like immediately I start and I'm trying like luckily we weren't like like zooming or like we were talking on Skype but we didn't have our videos up Thank yeah god I I would and definitely like, react the same way I'm I would trying, trying not to cry you know, because like I'm like, but she could like, cause I kept like having to like, I had to keep like pausing in my talk, cause you know, like when you're crying and you're trying to, you start to choke and you're trying yeah. to sound like you're not crying. I'm she's totally like, fine and of right course now. because my boss is also like, I mean, she's she's a good boss, but she's also very like empathetic. Like, so she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, it's fine. I know you have to tell me these oh things. God. I'm not crying right now. So yeah, now. We, we had like a good, like two minutes of like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, you don't. Because then I'm feeling bad that she's feeling sorry. Because I'm like, no, this is literally like your job. You have to do this. Yeah. Like, and it was just, it was, that was an interesting Wednesday. But like, basically after that, like, so like Wednesday was really bad. But, like, it kind of only went up from there. Like, even even though it was a, a really low low, like, and, you know, like, sometimes when you have those really low lows, it doesn't go up. Like, you either stagnate there for a little while or you can even go down. So I got really lucky and I'm really thankful that, like, yeah, I had I had some coworkers kind of help pull me out. I had Emily. Like, I didn't tell you what was going on, but we, yeah. <laughs> we've been talking a lot, like, and that helped. And just, like overall everything else was okay and then like I feel like I've been really productive the last which makes me feel bad but I I was thinking about it today and I'm like god I've been more productive but I haven't been I think I've just been like more aware of what I'm doing 
I get but that. Yeah, so like I'm I feel like I still ended the week on a high note and That's I'm thankful good. for that. And I'm thankful for like the coworkers that went to bat for me. And yeah, what are you thankful for? That I turned am- into like we're normally <laughs> really short thankful for a section just turned into like a 10 minute tirade. Here's the of thing, me. though. Here's the thing, though. We basically, instead of cutting 10 minutes of silence of what am I thankful for, we got the 10 minutes of like what you're actually thankful <laughs> let me, for. Let me tell you this story. Um, So I am thankful because I think since the beginning of this podcast, I've been half joking, half being super serious about like, I should go back to therapy. I should like oh, I really tackle my mental health. And I have my first appointment scheduled in like... Just under two weeks. Yeah, unfortunately, they're probably booked out a while. It's just two weeks. I mean, like beginning of March, first week of March. So I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm kind of exploring both like the medication, the therapy route, Uh, just because I've been I've been really struggling with my anxiety. I've been really struggling with my depression. And it's been it hasn't been just like a bad day or a bad afternoon. It's been like weeks. And I it's really bad because the friends theme song popped into my head it hasn't been your your month your day or even your year kind of really like it, it's been rough like and you're I, like what the fuck are you talking about I'm like no it's in the song emily <laughs> i'm arriving doa there for you um but like i talked don't to- sue me <laughs> But I talked with my mom about it. And my mother is Aww, someone who's very, amazing. she's amazing. She's always been, she, I mean, I think any parent who's dealing with a child with mental health problems can't make all the right decisions because like no one really equips you for that. Well, but so- my mother always came from like a really positive oh, trying cool. to help me place. And she's very, um, she's not a fan of medications. She really prides herself on that. You know, she's of a certain age and isn't on any medications mm-hmm. um her dad was like that just very like some people are suck some it up people and deal are with it. very much like that i so am not. when i was in high school i was on like antidepressants and some other things and she was very like anxious about that yeah. but was like okay if this is gonna help her so she's you know she's kind of like she's very supportive but definitely like cautious about the medication route and i yeah. and at first i was a little miffed because i she was kind of like showing that resistance i was like mom i just need you to like like cheer me on right now and i told her i was like well i've been having a really hard time she's like well this pandemic's been really hard i was like no mom it's been like a year or more that it's just it's just getting worse like i can see the decline she's like oh well, good for you. Like she, she kind of realized. Like she like, was like, oh. okay, it's it's not just this pandemic. And it's pandemic, not the fact yeah. that you can't see other people. Like oh, this is actually an issue. Yeah. Like I appreciate your mom trying to like trying to be like, hey, are are you sure it's not just seasonal? It's, it's all well. It's I all coming from a positive from place. Yeah. It's all coming from a place of care because you know she she is not a huge fan of like throwing meds at a problem. I was like, well, that's why I want to explore meds and therapy. Right. Well, and what's what's nice is that like she may not be the type of person to like throw meds at it, but she's also the type of person that's like, okay, you know what? You're choosing your path. You're choosing to do meds. It's helping. I'm okay with yeah. that. You know, she's not the if per- anything- she's not the per- she's not the person that's like meds are evil. You're on meds. You're evil. If anything, it's her own anxiety manifesting because meds make her anxious. But she's very supportive. So 
I'm happy that I finally took that step to get help because that was really hard. And like, I feel like longtime of, listeners know I've been talking about this. Scheduling forever. a therapy appointment is talking yourself into scheduling yes. a thing because that's why like I had gone to therapy and then I missed so many sessions. Like, I mean, my therapist is really cool, but I think I am going to change therapist. Not because I've missed so many sessions, just because I think I need something different. Yep. And that's but, and that's totally valid. But like, that's why I stopped going to therapy is because I missed like two appointments. And even though like I let him know in advance, I was like, oh, God, I can't I can't face him. There's the shame, which is part like, of the it reason just felt, you're going. To it just felt like awkward. And like, yeah. yeah. And so like, yeah, it's like a self-repeating cycle. So I'm, I'm really proud of you. Like, I'm I know glad. I know yeah. how hard it is. I know you suffer from things slightly different than my own, but any amount of anxiety when it comes to scheduling a therapy appointment is is hard. Well, I so we were talking about earlier, like dealing with the the bureaucracy and how that can be so crippling because it's like, where do I start? That's where mm-hmm. I was. And I basically I was able to reach out to my primary care provider who I've had well, they, since they I was in middle school. List. She was amazing. I, I won't name her because I don't want to like. No, that's fine. It's my confidentiality. Fuck you. Um, but, <laughs> don't violate your own HIPAA. But she was like she she gave me options. And then uh, when I told her I want to explore medications and therapy, she gave me a list of like recommended Aww. providers outside of the clinic where I go because they do not offer long term therapy, which is annoying. But it's like, fuck you. They're guys. working on it's- it slowly, but they're working on it. They're like supposed to be the biggest, baddest oh, medical God, provider in the world and they don't offer like, long-term therapy reason, for adults. There's a reason that we have so many therapy centers in our town because it's the biggest gap that we have. Exactly. And it, it, I think that's really indicative of the gap between mental health and physical health and the stigma that still exists where the, one of the top medical providers in the world does not offer one, long-term therapy for adults. One thing this pandemic is going to be good for is that. Yes. Yeah. We're forcing you into it. <laughs> but I'm really I'm really happy about that. It's I'm proud of getting you. me it's kind of keeping me optimistic like instead of There's just light at the end of hoping the, the next day is better and then being devastated when it's not. It's like okay, I've taken the first step and now it's waiting for that first appointment. And it's not going to be easy, Aww. but no. it's happening. And your anxiety is going to get higher the closer the appointment gets. Probably. Um, but probably after you're going to feel a lot better. Yeah. I I hope, I hope it's someone you click with. I do too. I do too. If not, keep shopping. And that is totally fine. Seriously, quick little public service announcement. If you don't like your therapist, get a new one. Yeah. You don't have to stay with the therapist you're with. Yeah. It's it's almost like dating. Therapists understand. Like literally we talked about that in one of my classes the other day. She knows. Um, that, yeah, like you're like, sometimes you and a client won't mesh and that's okay. It's the same in reverse. If you're a client and you feel like you don't mess with your therapist or their type of therapy is not what you're looking for, that is fine. Go find someone that you are compatible with. Exactly. And on that note, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory and our tangents and our drunkenness and our mental health journeys. Much appreciated. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com and we have an email that's whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com where we'd love to hear from you. We also have a Patreon that we previously mentioned that you can donate as little as $1 to help keep the wine flowing. Also, if you want to see all the really awkward arm movements that we were throwing out through this, you can get access to that for as little as $1 a month. Or more if you want to, you know, get bonus things. Anyway, doing the wild thorn. We also have... Uh, <laughs> 
no it's it's the dad he's on tv and he's like sometimes you can't recognize people on tv so i'll do a thing so you know it's me and he goes of course it's tim curry so it's amazing i I do love tim curry um especially in rocky horror picture show (laughs) anyways um we also have a teespring not is it teespring yeah teespring i was like because there's that other one that's like something similar anyways we have a teespring search whining about herster we have some sweet merch we have some more stuff probably coming out soon and we love you also please raise five stars wherever you listen it really helps elevate us and find other people help uh, help other people find us help us find other people yes help us find other people to join the funerary cult as always thank you so much for listening and have an empowered day Bye. bye